0: Well, like Pastor Dallas, uh this is definitely uh one of my favorite times um of the year as as a Christian, um but also as a pastor here in in Bowling Green, Kentucky and in Warren County. There's one thing that I know that I love and that's that's that I definitely uh love Jesus, that I definitely love my wife and children and that I definitely love this city. And so I take this opportunity, uh, not lightly, but uh, with much weightiness of spirit and in truth, um, but so thankful that on this evening, that we celebrate and look to and reflect upon the cross of Jesus, uh, not just as as one church, but as the church. And so I'm thankful for Pastor Dallas allowing uh, Mission Church to come here, and I see Pastor Ben uh, from Eastwood is here with us as well, man. Thanks for being here. Um, and and yes, Mission Church, I'm your pastor. I'm wearing a tie. All right. So in case you didn't recognize me, I'm still the same guy. Uh, Burt Memorial, man, we love you guys. We love Pastor Dallas and his family. And we thank you again for opening up your doors uh, to this community uh, service. And so uh, with that, let's let's get started here this evening. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to be reading it from Matthew chapter 26 and then Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into the text here this evening. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, beginning in verse 36, this is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Peter, So could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And then flip over to Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 32. As they went out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place of Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when he had um, crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one to the right and one to the left. And those who passed by uh, derided him, waging Excuse me, uh, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? me and some of the bystanders hearing it said this man is calling elijah and some of them ran and and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink but others said wait let us see whether elijah will come to save him and jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom of god let 's pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this opportunity, Lord Jesus, may we not take this moment lightly, but Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit that we rest in now, this side of the resurrection, Lord, may you take us back to a garden, may you take us. Back to Golgotha, the, the, the place of the skull. May you take us back. May you allow us to be audience members peering into the, the very heart and soul of our Savior Jesus and what was taking place not simply on a, a horizontal perspective but a very vertical into the very divine things that are taking place, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we do that, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would merely cause the seed that is cast upon these brothers and sisters, amongst these sinners and saints who have gathered here this evening, I pray, Lord Jesus, that through your sovereign grace, that you would cause that seed to grow. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray for the believer that is here. May we once once again, with tears, weep at this truth also rejoice in it and lord i pray for the non-believer that is in this room lord jesus maybe they are far from you lord we know that you are a pursuer of sinners and so lord jesus we ask you that in this place in this building amongst these people lord jesus that you would come and that your holy spirit would rest upon the non-believer and that they would die in the cross Tonight, that they would lose themselves, Lord Jesus, and find themselves once again in You and Your work. Lord, may You do a great mighty work. May I step aside and just merely be a servant, Lord Jesus, in this place. We love You. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. In John chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus knowing all that would happen to Him. Imagine just for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, the, the anticipation of knowing every detail of what is going to happen to you. Jesus, the Creator of the universe um, and of man, would have have known every detail about the respiratory system, about the circulatory system, about the, the nervous system. He, he would know every cell and pain sensor in his body. That, that he would know every part of his brain that would be triggered and would be telling him that it was pain to the nth degree. See, Jesus knows the human body better than all the doctors throughout history. He is the very one that has knitted it together in his hands. Can you imagine... The weight of anticipation, knowing that in a matter of hours you would be deserted by all of your friends, you would stand trial essentially for no reason, you would be beaten beyond recognition, you would be paraded through town probably naked and hung on a cross between two thieves, while your persecutors laugh at you, mock you, and ridicule your body and your claim that you are king. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but man, I have anxiety just thinking about having to get a shot the next day. I have anxiety about going to the dentist, all right? I have anxiety about visiting the DMV. That's an all-day process. All right, it, it swells something, and that's a very minute scale. Jesus is, is knowing that, that he is about to experience an excruciating death. That literal English word literally means from the cross. So the next time you get a hangnail and you say, man, that is excruciating, bad use of terms. We're talking about a level of severity that none of us and no one has ever experienced or will experience. I cannot comprehend knowing everything that Jesus must have known as sovereign Lord, as the providential God of everything, what it must have been like for him. He knew in advance the pain, the agony, the taunting, the the humiliation, and yet he went Man, I struggle to go to a party if I don't think I'm going to know anybody there. I don't know if I'm going. Especially if I don't know what they're wearing. Because you don't want to be that guy. Right? And yet Jesus knows all of this pain. He knows all of this suffering. He knows all of this agony. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes. He goes. See, in the garden, we get to peer into the very heart of Jesus. As with us, God's primary work is actually an internal one. And for a brief moment, we get to see into the very heart and mind of Jesus as he wrestles with this terrifying reality of what is about to take place. See, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not 50% God and 50% man. Jesus is 100% God, making him all knowing and a hundred percent man, which made him feel every blow, whether that was a relational one or with a whip. see the the fatigue was real in Jesus. I think we sometimes get this picture because he was God, that it was pretend. The fatigue was real in Jesus, to the point where he would collapse under the weightiness. Of knowing the cross. The hunger was real. The thirst was real. Jesus had emotions from grief to joy. They were all experienced by Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, the agony of the garden and on the cross was real. I assume that since Jesus knows all and is all, that he was a man of extremes. You know, no one has ever been more happy than Jesus. Because he has perfect happiness. And yet, no one has experienced the the depths of lows that Jesus has experienced. Because he can see through everything that you and I can't. Imagine the joy that Jesus found at the moment when, when he would say to a tax collector, Hey, come and follow me. We, we get excited about that. The Bible tells us that even the angels in heaven rejoice over those people, but none of them experience the joy of that moment like our Lord and Savior. But imagine also the grief and the depths of that grief that Jesus feels when people refuse to repent, when people refuse to believe. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept at Lazarus' tomb over their lack of belief that he could call a man from the dead. This is Jesus. He knew the weight of sin and human depravity well more, or more than, than you and I. In Lamentations 1.12 it says this, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, Look and see if if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought upon, upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of His fierce anger. Jesus, this man of sorrows. Pastor John MacArthur says this, Never was so much sorrow emanating from the soul of one individual. We could never comprehend the depth of Christ's agony because frankly we cannot perceive the wickedness of sin as he could. Nor can we appreciate the tears of divine wrath the way that he did. The sorrow he expresses in Gethsemane prayer is therefore beyond our comprehension. See ladies and gentlemen, the the Garden of Gethsemane was a, a place that Jesus took his disciples frequently. The Garden of Gethsemane is a it's an olive grove. Jesus had taken them there probably to, to relax, to pray, to to fellowship, maybe even to teach. Inside of this olive grove where these trees grew they would eventually pluck those olives and olives and, and take them to an olive press which was typically this huge heavy stoned wheel and they would place all of the olives in olives in it and work this heavy wheel around crushing those olives to produce olive oil however ladies and gentlemen on this night there is not an olive to be crushed On this night, in this garden, in this olive-pressing place, it is not a fruit or or a, a berry that is going to be crushed for its juices or for its oils. No, it is a person, and His name is Jesus. And the weight that He is about to bear is the weight of the sins of the world. This is Good Friday. This is that night. As Jesus enters the garden, he speaks with Peter, James, and John. And he tells them, as we read, that he has great sorrow and trouble. Verse 38 in chapter 26 says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. What does the Bible tell us? Quickly, That his friends, closest friends fell asleep, that Jesus continued, and ultimately he knew that this was something that he was going to have to accomplish alone. The weight of what was about to take place in Jesus was literally enough to kill him. We've all heard stories where people have been scared and had heart attacks and died, or had great anxiety and had died in luke's gospel we're told that jesus is is so much under a weight he is such being squeezed by god that literally or figuratively whichever way you interpret that that his sweat became like great drops of blood this is pressure you ever had a bad day Doesn't compare to this day. You've been a little stressed, under pressure. It does not compare to this weight. But why is Jesus experienced such agony? Doesn't he know? Hasn't he been saying, "Hey, hey, fellas, is what's going to happen?" I'm sorry, this is the Eric Standard version, ESV. Hey, fellas, I, I'm. I'm going to die. But I'm coming back. Hasn't Jesus been preparing them? Hasn't he been saying these things? I mean, why is Jesus in such agony? Doesn't he know that he's going to be resurrected in three days? Yes, he does. Though Jesus is going to experience the most horrific of deaths, the primary reason for his distress, fear, and agony was not... At the hands of men, but at the hands of God. See, Jesus has taught his followers, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus came to earth in the flesh with a mission. He is a missionary. Jesus came with a purpose. Jesus came to die. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, for this purpose, I came to this hour. In verse 39 of chapter six, at 26, it says, my father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And what is this cup that Jesus is talking about? What is he speaking of in his prayer and in his language when he mentions, Lord, if there's, if there's another way for me re- to redeem my people, then, then let that happen. But if not, your will be done. As one of the commentators put it, it is not merely death. It is not the physical pain of the cross. It's not the scourging or the humiliation. It was not the horrible thirst. It was not the torture of having nails driven through your your body or the disgrace of being spat upon and beaten. It It was not even all of those things combined. All those things were the very thing that Christ Himself said not to fear. Jesus had told them, do not fear men. Fear God. That is healthy reverence and an honor, the realization that God is holy, that He is glorious, that we should respect Him, that that He is God and that we are not. And yet this cup had to be given to Jesus to drink. And what is this cup? This cup that Jesus is going to drink over the next several hours here is is the very wrath of God. It is the complete outpouring of of divine fury onto Jesus. See, Jesus knows the Bible. He knows the Old Testament. He knows it well. He wrote it. And Jesus in the Old Testament, through the the writers who have been inspired, um, in the Old Testament, the cup was a symbol of the wrath of God poured onto and into sinners. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, it says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of His wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the the bowl, the cup is staggering. See, this is a cup of God's judgment. He He would pour it out on the wicked and to the point to where they would become literally drunk and ill. The the closest illustration that I could think of in modern times is this idea of, of waterboarding, where you're constantly pouring water into the face of an individual as punishment, as torture for what they have done, as discipline. This is where... where where God would would give a man or a woman over to their pleasures or or the people of God, the Israelites, and He would force-feed them the consequences of His wrath. It was to show them the the consequences of, of drinking their own sin. Hey, you want this sin? I'm going to give you an abundance of it. I'm going to turn you over to it and to the point to where you become drunken and ill. Because of it. See, ladies and gentlemen, this cup is for you. This cup is for me. This cup is for us. See, ladies and gentlemen, we should be the ones in the garden that night drinking the the full divine wrath of God. It should be poured upon us. We are deserving of God's wrath. We are deserving of literally annihilation. And yet Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the one who was tempted and yet was without sin, the spotless Lamb of God, was about to drink the full cup of divine wrath. See, ladies and gentlemen, in a few hours, Jesus will be on the cross. But I want you to understand something. We spend a lot of time, and this isn't bad, this is not to downplay the actual event of the cross, but I want you to understand that what you see on this Good Friday, about from the hours, I don't know, nine to three, they say some span to six to eight hours, depending on how you do the math there, that what you see there in as horrific And as gut-wrenching as that event of seeing a man die, the most horrible death that a human can die, I want you to know that that is only a glimpse. It is an external reflection of the greater depth of what's happening inside of Jesus. See, God is after the inside. And what's going on on the inside has external ramifications. What is taking place on Jesus' inside, in His very heart, in His very mind, in His thought process, as He absorbs the, the wrath of God on our behalf, the cross is a, it's a mere glimpse at the depth and the, and the wrath of God that has been pouring out on His soul. bloody cross, we will often say, man, I don't want to see that. Throughout Christian history, people have said, man, Christianity is, all they do is talk about blood, eating flesh, drinking blood. And let's just all face it, can we laugh at Christians or kind of smirk a little bit? That's weird if you don't know the depths of it. And, and, and we should, it should be hard for us to go, man, I, I don't want to watch The Passion of the Christ, or I don't want to read those sections of Scripture, because, man, it is, it's extremely hard for me to look at. But I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that is a mere glimpse of what Jesus is experiencing in this moment. So when Jesus asked if there's any other way for this cup to pass, he is not talking about the, the hammer and the nails in the hands of the Romans. No, he is talking about the very cup that is in the hands of God. Jesus knew that to, to be absent from the body was to be present with God. His spirit was willing. His flesh was weak. He did not fear the cross. For there is something greater to fear than physical Death, God's holy, righteous judgment of sin. Jesus knew that in the hour of a few hours, that He would be, as Hebrews nine twenty-eight says, that He would bear the sins of many. He who knew no sin became sin. And the fullness, the complete wrath of God was poured upon Him. As Pastor Justin read earlier in Isaiah 53, this pleased God. God put him to grief. See, ladies and gentlemen, I think that we're losing something within our culture. Did you know that even in 2016, God is still God? God is still holy. God is still glorious. God is still uniquely unique. God still hates sin no matter how we try to pretty up and and change the painting on the outside of it God still hates those things and sin for God to be who he is in his very nature is loving yes but do not edify his love over his justice because God hates sin and it must be punished See, ladies and gentlemen, as Jesus hung upon the cross, the, the gavel of God slammed against the judge's desk, and the sentence was read. Guilty, 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 guilty on all accounts, and the sentence is death. And yet, Jesus, you will take their punishment. As Jesus hung there on the cross, he carried the guilt of all sin past present and future for those whom he had come to save theologians church fathers had called this throughout history the great exchange god the holy just creator of all things took the sins of his people and placed the weight of those sins upon jesus crushing him like an olive to the point where inwardly and externally he bled out See, ladies and gentlemen, on Good Friday, there was believed to probably be several million people in Jerusalem. They are there to celebrate Passover. There was believed, I think to be 250-something thousand lambs slain on that day. Jerusalem was literally covered in blood. Gospel of John tells us that as Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane, that he has to walk his disciples through, I think it's called the Kindron Valley. And literally, what was known for the Kidron Valley was, was that from the temple through that valley was a ditch dug out for the blood of those lambs to fill and trickle away from the city. And as Jesus is going to give His blood, He steps over through that valley. See, there's only one true lamb That is everlasting. There's only one lamb that can be killed and slain. And and truly give eternal life. And his name is Jesus. This was the cross that Jesus was to bear. More than the wooden beam. More than the iron piercing his wrist and feet. For the first time in all of eternity. Jesus feels separation. He feels abandonment. And he feels the punishment of God. As William Lane once put it, Jesus entered the garden to be with the Father for interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven open before him. See, Jesus' primary mission was to do the will of the Father. It was not because of you above all. There, a few years ago, we used to sing this terrible song called Above All. And it talks about the cross and the resurrection and it gets to the very end. And it says this, because of me above all. That is terrible. Jesus did did not do these things. He did not die upon the cross. He was not a willing sacrifice for us above all. No. It was for the glory and for the fame and for the will of God. Above all. And because he was willing to be this obedient sacrifice, we are are the beneficiaries of this perfect obedience. Jesus is illustrating to all of us what obedience at all costs look like. Not my will, but your will be done. Even if this meant suffering to the point of death. Jesus, the true and better Adam, must go back to the garden. And instead of being disobedient like Adam and Eve, he's obedient. Instead of this guarding, breeding, bringing forth life, it brings forth death. Brothers and sisters, the Trinity did not go into the war room of heaven after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. There was not a panic section taking place in heaven as they ate of that fruit. There wasn't a, a collection or a think tank. The, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not get together. They were not up in heaven wringing their hands and panting and sweating at the thought and the reality of, of the, the very spiritual death a spiritual suicide that, that Adam and Eve were, were partaking in. No, ladies and gem, gentlemen, this has been their plan. It's been orchestrated since the foundations of the world. In Second Timothy chapter two verses eight through ten, it says this: Therefore, do not be ashamed for the testimony about our Lord, no, uh, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before. The ages began. Titus one two, in hope of eternal life, which God who, who never lies promised before the ages began. In Ephesians chapter one, verses three through fourteen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the richness. The riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him things in heaven and on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance and let me tell you that's an undeserved inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. See, to complete God's redemptive plan sin must be paid for through the death of the only true spotless lamb and now Jesus hangs upon a cross and he cries out in pain as as the blood drips from his hands his feet his head as as literally his his body is is convulsing as he is taking his breath as he is dying of, of suffocation or that's typically how you die in the on the cross the the moral laws are fulfilled The the judicial laws are fulfilled. The, The ceremonial laws are fulfilled. And they are fulfilled through Jesus. And that is why in His last breath, Jesus can scream out, ladies and gentlemen, it is finished. It is finished. It is complete. It is paid for. It is paid in full. It is stamped paid for. It is complete. The, the cup of divine wrath that you and I should be drinking is completely drank by Jesus and he leaves nothing left in the cup. It was not the nails that held Jesus there. No, but it was love. It was love for God. It was love for humanity. It was love for His bride. Jesus dies. His heart literally explodes in His chest, broken and spilled out for His people. This is death by love. So, brothers and sisters, on this Good Friday, we reflect the depths of our sin. But I think a lot of times that when we come together and we start talking about the cross, I don't know about you, but my first reaction is to really feel sorry for Jesus. It's to weep for Jesus, to feel sorry. He's an innocent man. He's innocent. My first temptation every Good Friday is is to, to, to feel and to weep for Jesus, for the sacrifice He has made But ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that's the the greater truth here. I think the greater truth that the cross reminds us of, and and the reason why we should weep on Good Friday, is it reminds us of the depths of our own depravity, and yet it reminds us of the lengths that Jesus was willing to go to complete God's plan and to guarantee salvation of His sheep. Ladies and gentlemen, if we weep here tonight, we should weep at our sin. We should weep at friends and family members and their sin. We should have agony. Over our sin. And yet, simultaneously, in this paradox, is we should have great joy in Jesus' sacrifice. See, this truth should be staggering to us. The, The cup that we should have drank is given to Jesus. The cup of salvation is placed into our hands. Jesus gets a raw deal. And we, His followers, get the greatest deal. See, this must be what Jesus was alluding to. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount at mission, and this must be what Jesus was alluding to early on in his ministry when he says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. What is he saying there? He's saying, when I look at a holy, just, glorious God... And when I look at him and I see the depths of my soul, the depravity of my heart, all I can do is, as an ashamed beggar, reach out my hand. Because he is God and we are not. And yet, what does Jesus say in that? He says, for theirs... For those people, those people who come to the realization of, of who they are and the, and the, the depths of their wretchedness, who, who beg toward God, it is those people that the kingdom of heaven is given. Or the next one, blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning after? Not the loss of a loved one. That is not what the Bible is saying there. He's saying those are approved who mourn over their sin. So what do we do on Good Friday? We mourn. And though it's difficult for us to think of, it is difficult for us to watch. We mourn, not that moment, but our moment the sinful moment within us and then we turn and we recognize the greatness and the expanse of god's love that he would be willing to literally become sin and we rejoice in that we rejoice in that the cross is a good deal for us It's a glorious deal. It's a divine decree. It is the plan of God. And Jesus did it. And when we mourn over our sin, if you are lost and undone without Jesus tonight, may He pour upon you a a, a glimpse of your darkness and depravity so that you can in turn understand that His grace and His love is deeper still. This is the beauty of the cross. As Dr. Russell Moore, if you saw it this morning, he posted this and I thought it was excellent. I share it with you. Christians need to remember that on Good Friday, the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened. The worst thing, believer, that could happen to you has already already happened in jesus we have been crucified with jesus under the wrath of god for our sins we have already faced the penalty that was due to us for those sins that is great news that's why good friday is good for us and it is terrible for jesus to realize ladies and gentlemen you and i deserve immediate death we deserve hell itself. And yet what does God do through the person and work of Jesus? All of your judgment has already taken place. It took place on that cross as Jesus became sin for us. As he became our scapegoat. As he became the sacrifice lamb upon an altar. The veil has been ripped. It has been torn. We have nothing to fear because of Jesus. We can live. We can be on mission. We cannot fear death. Why? Because Jesus has already died for us. And we get to go to heaven, courtesy of Jesus. Courtesy of Him. The penalty that has already been, it's already been paid. It was paid in the cross. It was paid through Jesus. I love the line in the song that we sing at our church, and maybe you sing it here at yours as well with this line in this song where it says, to look upon Him and pardon me. To look upon Jesus. That's my cross. That's your cross. That's my cup. That's your cup. And yet Jesus willingly says, it is my joy that is set before me to take the cross on behalf of my sheep, on behalf of my bride, on behalf of my people. You do not take my life. I lay it down for them. This Jesus, as God now looks upon His people through the person and work of Jesus, and He sees perfection. Do you get that? I don't, but I'm thankful for it. Thankful for this Jesus. And so you and I now are much like two thieves. Two guilty parties who are also crucified next to Jesus. And so this reality and this truth then bears a response. And it's interesting in it as these two men are are crucified next to Jesus, what is the response of these men? Man, there is is the hardening of one heart. Dude is guilty. There's the hardening of his heart. He begins to to mock and to ridicule Jesus. And yet there is another thief. Equally as guilty. And yet when he looks upon this Jesus, who must be the Son of God, he can do nothing but look at this Jewish carpenter with his beard ripped from his face. With a sign of mockery, placed above his forehead with a crown of thorns driven into his head with his very skin falling off of this man as he convulses, as he is hungry, as he is thirsty, as he is bruised, as he is broken, as, as, as everything, as he's reaching up upon those nails just merely trying to get a breath. There is a man who is equally or who is guilty Also, on the other side of this Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit quickens this man's heart to realize that that Jewish man is God. And he says to Jesus, Remember me. Remember me. What does Jesus say? He didn't get baptized, folks. I don't care what the church of Christ say, I don't think it rained at that moment. He had no good works. He had nothing good to offer Jesus. He had moments to live. And what does Jesus say to a man who does not deserve it? Today you will be with me. Today you will, you will be with me. Ladies and gentlemen, as you hear the words coming out of my mouth, I want you to know you're one of those two thieves. You're definitely not Jesus. You're one of those two thieves and, and this truth, this Friday, this cross demands, it is not a suggestion It is a demand of response. Either you will turn in repentance and faith and believe with all of your life that Jesus is the Son of God, or you will continue to reject Him with your life, and instead, when when Jesus comes back to get His bride, you will either surrender to Jesus as His son and as His daughter with great rejoicing and worship on your lips, or you will surrender and bow before Him him as a, a conquering king who has come to punish the wicked. Who are you? And most importantly, who is this Jesus? It is the defining moment of your life, it is the reality of Christ. In closing, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You can't stand tall at the cross. It is only a place of great humility at the realization of what Jesus actually did, to people who did not deserve it. People who distort it every day. Jesus works. Jesus comes jesus dies the death that you and i should have died to give us the life that we did not deserve let's pray lord jesus we thank you god for your grace we are thankful for your work we are thankful for your patience we are thankful that you are willing To go to the fullest extent of completing God's plan. And so God, we humbly come before You asking You to once again give us a glimpse of our sin and then give us joy in the realization of who you are, Jesus. May we both mourn our sin and yet celebrate your glory and your work. Because it is a good Friday for us. We pray that you would really take the seed that has been cast. It calls fruit of growth. Crossing.